I look at her face and I see the strength and determination that she's got. And that's what makes me think, well, you know, you're keeping going, you're still here. Why should I be thinking negatively and thinking that, you know, something's going to happen? I need to be inspired by you. Um, and, And she does, she inspires me every day. Welcome to the B1 Mindset Podcast. This episode sees us dive back into the Mindset Tune-Up show that Ben records live on YouTube. So if you want to join the discussion and our growing community of like-minded people, then be sure to check out the show notes for links to our social media channels. This week, Ben speaks to Christine about her journey, focusing in on how she took control against all the odds. This episode is really powerful, but does contain some references to more difficult times of life. And as Ben and Christine mention, If you do find yourself in this situation, be sure to talk to somebody, and if needs be, make sure you find some professional help. Again, links to all the references made in this episode can be found in the show notes. Yes, guys, so we are live um, for episode number four of the Mindset Tune-Up show. And um, it's a real privilege tonight to have this lady on. I've known her now, uh, coming up to five months, and as I've stated in um, a lot of my posts on social, um, Christine's made an unbelievable impact um, in my life, and I think that's before I've been Christine in. I kind of just wanted to kind of uh, talk a little bit more on that, which is um, Christine came across me through um, a gentleman called Kevin Brevolution, which a lot of people will be aware of as well. And then uh, reached out to myself um, to talk about mindset and self-development coaching. And um, after an initial conversation with Christine, I left her with some tasks to do. And that's how I work as a coach. Um, I'll have an initial conversation and then I'll give people tasks to go away with, um, to reflect on, to take some perspective of. um, And then if they feel it's been significant for them or they feel this is right, they'll come back to me. We have another conversation and we can take it forward from there. And I think that, Again, I never know how someone's going to take them. I never know if someone's going to contact me back and come back to me. But it's something that I developed as a coach that was important for me. I think it shows accountability of the person to then go away and straight off their back, make some big moves and some bold steps to take these tasks on and then approach me back to say, yeah, this is something I'm committed to because commitment is a big thing. Um, and thankfully, Christine did come back to me. And um, we've had an unbelievable months that have kind of like followed from that initial call um, and Christine's made some unbelievable progress and I'm I'm privileged and proud of the progress Christine's made but also the impact she's made on me in terms of knowing Christine's story and to know how empowering she is as a female as a mother and as a daughter and I think that I've taken a lot I take a lot from my clients I take a lot from people perspectives a massive thing for me um, and it really humbles me and makes me feel grateful to, to be here and, and for the things that I've got and the main reason I wanted Christine on the show tonight is not to talk about the journey that me and Christine have been on over the last few months where she's really kind of worked on herself in terms of aspirations and finding some real purpose for herself and light in life for her, but more so the journey up to the point she met myself because some of the things Christine has been through in life um, have been pretty horrific and she's stood so strong to that um, and the, the mother in Christine is absolutely outstanding. And she's going to kind of 
be very open and honest and talk about a story today, which I think shows tremendous courage uh, for someone to speak as open and honest as Christine does. Again, I work with a lot of people who don't want me to share their stories in confidentiality. It's a massive thing for me and I never would. Um, but for Christine to step up for the want of helping others. And that's, I feel, it's a beautiful thing when someone is happy to share their story because they feel it can impact and help other people. Um, and, and I feel that's just a, a, a real... Um, real beautiful thing in someone to to be able to do because that's obviously going to help more people um to whether they become aware they just see someone else's circumstance and it helps them take a different perspective it's really powerful so i'm going to bring christine in obviously christine's a little bit nervous but i express to christine i'm nervous every time i switch on the on the mac and uh, come live to do the show um i still get nerves massively considering um how much i put myself in front of the camera so i'm going to bring christine in now i'm going to just have a general chat tonight but i really want to highlight and what a powerful lady Christine is, um, and and hopefully once you hear her story, but also see how strong she's standing today, um, and to hear um, more about beautiful daughter Evie, um, I'm sure you guys are going to take a lot away from this show. So I'm I'm really excited. I'm proud um, to have Christine on. So I'm going to bring Christine in now. Hello. Hello, Christine. <laughs> how are we doing? Good, thank you. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so. Just to just to ease us in, um, I just want to talk about the opportunity that you you helped us with today, which was to let us be able to go down and speak to um, a charity that's very close to your heart. Uh, just with the opportunity to express some of the work that we've done together, um, and it was I felt very blessed to be able to go down and, and speak to Ruben's retreat and the, the people involved. Um, and as we talk through this chat tonight, people become um, aware of why that's that's so close to your heart. Um, but I think that where we went today kind of really helped me understand that one thing that we both have in alignment is really trying to help and impact people in life. And that became apparent through the conversations we started to have together in terms of you wanting to share a lot about your journey that, you, that you've kind of been on. Um, and obviously you're very open and honest about that as well. Um, so again, I just want to kind of talk about your relationship with Rubens and, and how that's formed, because I think that's quite significant just to help people understand that, if that's okay with yourself, Christine. Yeah, that's fine. So um, <clears throat> so eight years ago, I had my uh, gorgeous little girl, Evie, and um, she was born healthy and everything um, and no no problems at all there. Um, when she got to the age of about nine months old, um, well, before that, actually, I'd noticed that she wasn't developing the same as other babies, you, you know, just from going to baby groups. And I used to be a teacher as well. So um, I kind of have got a bit of uh, the background knowledge of um, child development and stuff. So I knew she wasn't developing the same as other babies of her age. So I asked the health visitor to come and do an assessment on her. And on that same day, she had her first epileptic seizure I didn't know she had epilepsy at the time but um yeah it was very scary it lasted two hours uh horrific um she was in resource in A&E in Stepping Hill um just awful um so then we were kind of uh fast tracked through the system and and discovered that yes yeah, she did have epilepsy she had to have a uh, EEG test that that looked at the brain pattern, the uh, patterns in the brain, and that showed us that she had generalised epilepsy, which was all over her brain. 
Um, and then after that, she continued having these really prolonged seizures. So up until her second birthday, she had eight more really prolonged seizures, like two hours long. And each time we'd be ambulanced and into resource at Stephen Hill and like eight doctors around her, just horrific. No parent ever wants to see their child going through that. And, and it was just awful. Anyway, unfortunately, about 11 days before her second birthday, um, she had a, a massive seizure, the biggest one that uh, myself and her dad had ever seen. Uh, thankfully, her consultant at the time uh, was on duty that, that night and she was just amazing. But um, again, we went through the same process a couple of hours long, but this time they couldn't stop the seizure. So they had to intubate her. So basically uh, put her in a coma, an induced coma. Um, and because our local hospital doesn't... Um, uh, have a um, intensive care ward for children. We had to be transferred to Manchester. Um, so then she spent a week and a half on intensive care in Manchester. And um, when she got brought round from her coma, she had just completely regressed. She was like a, a, a different child. She couldn't sit up, she couldn't um, talk. She was beginning to walk and things prior to the seizure. Um, so we spent uh, it was horrific, like she just used to cry constantly because she was scared, you know, it's, she was only yeah. two. Yeah. Um, she didn't really know who myself or her dad were either, which was awful as a parent for your child not to recognise you. Um, we spent nearly six months in the children's hospital. She underwent hundreds of tests, um, all of which came back normal, which was just crazy because we were like, this is just not normal, what's going on? Uh, she was so different compared to how she, she was. Um, and they couldn't discover anything that, that was wrong with her. They tested her for all the really rare conditions and things. It did come back, one of the tests did come back showing that she um, did have a very rare condition and she is currently the only child in the world with uh, this particular condition that she's got but it doesn't explain the rest of the things that are wrong with her so she um she's lost over half of her brain which they can't explain what that is or what's caused that um so we were basically told in the hospital that her brain would continue to die and that we would probably only have a few months with her so at that point she was she was two um, so we were told to just go home and make memories with her, basically, um, which, you know, just awful. Um, anyway, we discovered um, uh, Evie's dad um, used to work at a company called Stagecoach in Stockport, the buses, bus company. Yeah. And um, he um, uh, worked with, uh, he was an accountant and he worked with um, this other guy called Adam, who's one of the trustees at Ruben's Retreat. Um, so that's how we, we found out about Rubens and basically Rubens Retreat are a charity that support families of children with life shortening uh, conditions and complex needs but also um, families that have been bereaved of a child so um, they support all of those families which is amazing and at that point we didn't know anybody else that was going through what we were going through um, so uh, we had the opportunity to go and have a weekend break at Rubens, which is in Gloucester, which is just a beautiful place anyway. Um, and uh, it was the whole weekend was just amazing. Um, having been through all that trauma in the hospital 
and not knowing what the future held, just going away from your home and the hospital for weekends in the hills in the lovely countryside was just amazing. And having that time with Evie away from all the beeps of the hospital monitors and stuff like that was just lovely. And then we just continued to keep in contact with them and they provide like um, therapy days, animal therapy days, music therapy, um, just lovely kind of memory making days that you can have with your child and also meet with other families as well that are going through similar things, which, you know, is just a godsend really because it's such a lonely place to be in when you, you're in that position. So it's, a, it's horrible that other families are going through it, but to have that support network is just just amazing really so yeah that's how we we became in contact with Rubens um and I also do volunteer work for them now just to kind of uh give a bit back to them for everything that they've done uh done for us because um yeah I just can't thank them enough really they've been such a massive support for us well I definitely saw that today um I felt the the you were like a family um all the staff and, and the way they embraced you and spoke to yourself and being shown around the place, I was kind of blown away um, by the, the little details they go into um, and, and everything they kind of put together there. Uh, and I'm going to bring it back into to Ruben's uh, a little bit later. Um, but I just want to pull it back into some of the story you just talked about there because it was quite, um, again, it was, it's hard to hear, let alone live through Christine. Do you know what I mean? And I think that um, just just hearing you you speak then and kind of talk through everything obviously that Evie went through but especially the unknown scenario that there was just they weren't clear on what it was um in, in terms of your just to kind of before to kind of like break it down a little bit and because I want to talk kind of about mindset up until Evie um where kind of was your mindset in terms of how you were kind of functioning day to day in, in terms of a, a strong mind did you have other things kind of going on obviously I know there's other things we're going to bring in now but I think that where I want to get to with this is um how much of an impact that kind of mentally had on you whether you were kind of I don't think you could ever be prepared for that but were there things that kind of held strength during that time um or things that kind of potentially made things worse in a way in terms of you handling emotional and mental stress if that makes sense yeah. so kind of leading up to having ev obviously there's been other circumstances as well that you're happy to talk about tonight yeah so so um before having ev i was <clears throat> i'd always say that i was quite an anxious person so i've always had um problems with anxiety and um not a great self-image really um been in a few um prior to Evie being been in a few kind of negative relationships and things like that which haven't had um a great impact on my self-esteem and, and and stuff like that um and yeah just general kind of anxiety and, and struggles um struggles with that um and then um so I would say when I had Evie and with all the um problems that we had prior to her big seizure um, with worrying about her development and stuff like that, because I'm an anxious person, it was heightened massively. Um, like uh, just feeling anxious constantly. I've, I think any parent does about their child. Yeah. Um, but when, you've, when you already struggle with anxiety, it, it's 
you know, tenfold really. Yeah. Um, but I would say that the main thing that um, that gave me like the strength through it all is just my love for Evie. Um, she's just amazing. And any parent would say that about their child. Um, you, you just don't know love properly, I don't think. Not that kind of love till you have a child. And the love that I feel for her, I just can't can't explain it fully it's just so strong you know she, I just love her with every inch of myself um and that I would say is what um what keeps me going and gives me the strength uh, to get through the different things um and I'd not known that before I before I had her really um obviously you know different kinds of love with your family and your friends and if you're in a relationship and things like that but it was nothing compared to the love that you know that you have for your child really so yeah yeah i would say that that's that's what's given me the strength to uh to keep going through through circumstances but the anxiety was something that i i have really struggled with yeah because i think um i completely agree with you in terms of um when i had jacks um last year i think that i've never like say no a love like that is a different type of love than a love for your partner or you kind of like him, even even a love for your parents in a weird way because they they obviously love you like you love your child, but it's kind of it's it's so strong it's it's untrue, um, and I think like you say the love was the strongest point of you staying in control and and handling these situations the best you can. In terms of you talking about anxiety and things like that, but where did it where did it take it in the line of dealing with? Um, kind of the situations within the hospital, the not knowing, just that whole journey, especially in the early stages of, <clears throat> of the seizures and her going into hospital and things like that. And there, there sounds to be so much uncertainty around it. Like what were your coping mechanisms at that point? Or was it literally just the fact that I love my daughter the world over and I just need to be here for her? Like where was your struggles pushed away because you were focusing so much on, on Evie? So, um, yeah, the love, obviously, that was a, a coping mechanism. But I'm, a, I'm so lucky I've got the most amazing um, family and friends. And um, myself and Evie's dad were together at that point as well. So we were uh, very supportive of each other during that time. But we, we both of us, like, we have just the most amazing family and friends. We really do. And uh, without their support and love, and care and just things like bringing us food um because you forget to eat in that situation um but then if you don't eat you've not got the energy to to stay up all night with your child um so you know little things like that or or text messages or phone calls just saying we love you keep going you know you're doing amazing things like that that support network around you i've i found a massive massive help um and I, I i honestly don't know if i could have got through it without that um you know with i just feel very very lucky that, that i've got that i don't have hundreds and hundreds of friends but the friends that i have got are the best friends that i could ever wish for you know they're just amazing um and they all know who they are they're just brilliant brilliant people um so yeah, I would say definitely the love for Evie, but also having that support network was was a massive thing for me. That's amazing, and I feel like you say it's um, those friends will know definitely know who they are, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing as well. Um, 
in terms of obviously when it came to the point where Evie came away from the hospital and you start to become her main carer, obviously with with your ex ex husband. What where did that send you mentally? Because I think that sounds intimidating alone. Just saying that, like Evie's going to come out of hospital, she still needs full time care. Kind of where did your your mind and thought processes go there? We we supported a lot during that process. Was there um, a structure to it? Um, or is, is these things that you've really had to kind of pick up and understand yourself from very quickly and um, to the point now where obviously when I've been in contact with yourself you sound so um you you know it, absolutely everything you need to do and if anything you are the main person that should be around Evie unless you had to go to the hospital there's other people that are a little bit wary at times if she becomes ill but you're the, the confident one in terms of knowing exactly what to do being a mother and that's an amazing thing um, until the point she wouldn't need to go to hospital. So if we took it back to the point, she, they, they kind of said, okay, Evie can come home. Where did you start to go with your thought processes at that point? Honestly, I didn't want to go home. I, I didn't want to go home. I had the security of the hospital. We had the most amazing nursing team, doctors, everything. Um, they literally had to force me to go home. I didn't want to oh. go. Um, but they were like, you can't, you know, if Evie hasn't got long, you can't spend her life in hospital. That's just, that's not not right. You know, she needs to be out there. She needs to be doing things that you want to do with her. Um, so what that we, we did it in kind of a transition phase. So we had a few visits back home because obviously I had to change my whole house around. Um, so prior to going into hospital, we didn't, um, didn't have a wheelchair, obviously, because Evie didn't need one. Uh, didn't have any of the equipment that she needed. We had to turn our living room into a bedroom for Evie. Um, so, and she had to have a, like a hospital style bed and uh, hoists and things to lift her up and um, everything just had to be changed. So uh, we did it in tra a transition phase. So we did a few visits home, got Evie used to being back home again and not being in hospital. Um, at the point where we went home, she was a lot more settled in terms of on her medications they were all at the right times for her and and stuff like that so her kind of general well-being in that sense was was more settled she wasn't upset anymore and agitated she was she was a lot calmer um but i had to learn how to tube feed um so prior to her seizure um she was eating um like a child of her age would um but then now she can't because um, her swallow isn't strong enough. So I had to learn how to set up feeds which go into her stomach. Um, I had to learn how to give medicines and the right doses to give and how to administer them through through her stomach. Um, I had to learn how to, she can't um, manage her own saliva and things like that. So when she gets cold and stuff, um, it's, quite, it's quite serious for her. So I had to learn this technique called suctioning where you, you basically have to um, kind of blow her nose for her and, and, and make her cough and things like that. But it's quite a, um, a, a specialised kind of procedure. So I had to learn how to do that. So there's a lot of stuff that myself and her dad had to learn how to do, which was completely alien to us and very scary. Um, and I, I got the hospital staff to check that I was doing it right about 100 times before we left the hospital. <laughs> Because I just, um, I just wasn't confident enough. I felt like, oh God, we're leaving like the security of the hospital. And I've got to go home and make sure my child is is safe. And um, obviously, did did the just to kind of um, ask a couple of questions when you 
say obviously um you knew x had to learn these things were you shown like did the hospital obviously show yes. you or, or yeah so they were helping you understand all of these things to to obviously help you there you were yeah. kind of trying to learn from just f from trying to however you found to learn it was it was shown from the hospital to yourself yeah. to then go, and that was the fearful factor of right can i now do this yeah without them watching over me right <laughs> um but yeah when we got home we had a specialist team of nurses as well for me these current respite place and they used to come and do home visits and and check up on us and i asked them to come every day at first just to uh, make sure we were okay but as i as as we just kind of got in the routine of it and you practice it and you get used to it, I, those visits kind of lessened and I felt more confident in it. But um, there's always new stuff that, that goes on with Evie. Her, she's very unpredictable. She likes to keep me on my toes a lot. Um, so, yeah, um, all the new, there's always new things that I need to learn. But I do feel from where we were like uh, six years ago, the confidence has definitely grown. Um and a few of the doctors, whenever we do go in hospital now, which thankfully touch wood is quite rare, the doctors do say to me now, like, oh, you know, you could be a doctor or a nurse, the amount of medical knowledge you've got. Um, so, yeah, um, you just learn and, and, and I'm part of an amazing community that um, sadly of other families that have got children similar to Evie. And I learn from them, you know, there's some children that are, are a lot more complex than Evie, sadly, and um i learn a lot of skills and knowledge from them as well we have good chats and have a laugh because you have to have a laugh about stuff and um, to keep yourself sane and keep going yeah. and uh, they're very inspirational to me as well so yeah it's just time and practice and getting in your routine and i'm very much a routine person so once i've got like my routine set I'm, i feel a bit more secure about things yeah and um so so in terms of you come out of hospital with Eva and you, you've learned all these things of how to take care of Eva and she's still been labeled as this short life expectancy and at that point they were telling you it was very short yeah. at what point did you start to kind of gain belief and confidence that actually Evie's stabilizing or Evie's not going anywhere do you know what I mean to, to be so far along now was there a point where that belief grew away from what you were potentially getting told and then i appreciate that from the doctor's point of view it was such an unknown and then they were making the best guess possible and so it's not going against doctors here but i am saying was there just a point where you start to think against that and think well, actually this is evie might not be going anywhere hmm. it probably took me a good year i'd say because we when we got uh, when we left the hospital they did say um like evie could possibly pass away in her sleep um, so I I refused to leave the hospital without a saturations monitor, which monitors like her oxygen and her heart rate, because I just said to them, I will not sleep if um, if this is what you're telling me, because uh, I don't want her to be on her own. Um, so so they gave me this uh, this saturations monitor so that I could hear if anything was going on, basically, but I didn't have to be in the same room as her. Um, but yeah, I'd say it probably took me a year because I wouldn't leave her. I would never leave her um, a fear of something happening and me not being there. Um, so I didn't really want to go out. I didn't really want to see um, my friends without Evie being there. 
because I was so scared of something happening to her and, and me not being there. I wanted to be there with her at all times and, and her know that I was there. Um, so yeah, probably a year of getting used to our new life and our new Evie um, and uh, meeting other families that were going through it and chatting with them and gaining strength and confidence through them as well um and knowing that like it got to a year and i thought my god like we're we're, we're a year on the doctor said she was only going to be here for a few months um and she's still here and at that point you know she'd come so far she'd come from virtually being blind and not being able to see anything to tracking lights and and recognising me and recognising a dad and, and people that loved her and starting school, which was bloody amazing because we never thought we'd get that. And she had a first day at school. Um, so I think when, when we'd got these milestones out of the way, like we'd made this bucket list of um, tiny, like in, probably insignificant things to other people, but things that we'd not done with her that we wanted to do, like the Sea Life Centre at the Trafford Centre, you know, silly yeah. little things like that but we we thought we only had a few months so we were like right we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this so um and we'd got to like after a year and we ticked off half the things and and we were like oh my god like we've we've done so much already and when you know we're going to need to do another bucket list soon and i think when you get to those um those milestones like i just thought wow you know she is i looked at her and she just I mean, you've met Evie, she, she smiles and laughs constantly. She's such a happy little girl. And um, you, I look at her face and I see the strength and determination that she's got. And that's what makes me think, well, you know, you're keeping going, you're still here. Why should I be thinking negatively and thinking that, you know, something's gonna happen? I need to be inspired by you. Wow. Um, and, and she does, she inspires me every day because she's so strong, like she'll go for blood tests, she'll go for cannulas if she's been poorly. She'll flinch when the doctors put needles in her. She's like, come on, next one, next <laughs> one. <laughs> she's just not bothered at all. She's so strong, whereas me, somebody puts a needle in me, I'm like, oh. you know, it's, um she's just unbelievable so if she can keep going and keep doing stuff like that then i can't just sit here and wallow i have to keep going with her and keep yeah. her as happy and as strong as possible and well, you know we're at eight years well she's eight now and she was two back then yeah um and i feel like to to hear you say that in terms of how strong evie is and um for her to be fighting and smiling she's got an unbelievably beautiful and infectious smile um, and, and what was beautiful as well is like you say that recognition so when I met Evie and she saw you um, the, the smile was and you could just feel the energy and, and happiness from her and I think that is that's an amazing thing but for then you to like say like she Evie's fighting on here and staying strong and being happy and then you take that perspective in, into your own life and, and that's helped then lead you and I think that's a that's an amazing strength that you found from that where a lot of people may struggle to, to see. And that's, again, a, a main reason why I wanted you on tonight, to help people see some of the things that you've taken empowerment from. Um, and I think that, like you say, I think coming away from a hospital and having so much fear, because the amount of trust you place into the doctors that literally know what they're doing, which they do, and how well they were looked after, that you are literally that that sole carer now, um, in, unless you've got obviously people coming in and supporting yourself. Um, what 
do you think obviously I, I've known and, and worked with you now for a fair few months, but in in the in the first years or the, the years that kind of came to pass in terms of your coping mechanisms, where did they lie? Were you were you struggling to cope or do you feel you were coping well? What was your kind of do you know what I mean? Where 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 were you in that in, in this position then? Where did you go? Yeah, I'd, I you know, I'll be honest, I, I was struggling and I still struggle now because no parent should ever have to face the fact that you could lose your child. Um and I don't know when that might happen. None of us know um when when things might happen like that, but obviously I've been given this um you know prognosis for Evie. Um so it is a struggle. It's a thought that is constantly in my mind, but it's now towards the back of my mind, whereas before it was it was right right at the front. Um so anytime she becomes poorly it comes right back to the front again. Um but I, I keep it to the back of my mind as much as possible and coping mechanisms um just talking really and uh, being in um the support networks that I'm in um has has made a massive difference the charities honestly without charities I don't know where we would be um all the support or the majority of the support that we get off is through charities particularly Ruben's retreat uh, but other charities as well um and, and most of them are set up sadly from loss or yeah. from um you know difficult situations um that other families have been through um but you know without them i'm not sure sure where we've been during lockdown uh ruben's retreat used to ring me um pretty much weekly and check in and make sure i was all right they used to drop off like food hampers and um you know like little pamper sets for me um so that i could have some some nice time as well um as well as little presents for evie and and they do like zoom calls and so that evie could see her other friends from rubens and stuff as well so um i think a, a support network for me is 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 massive and um is a a big um, help for me in, in how to deal with things but I you know I try and be as positive as possible I do um, because I want to be the best that I can be for Evie but that doesn't mean that I don't have you know negative thoughts or struggles with it all I just try and do it I just try and have that time away from Evie and keep the positivity with with her really and obviously since working with yourself um, journaling and writing stuff down has been a massive um help to me because I've actually I find um that when I'm journaling it's just getting the thoughts out of my head whereas before I did that they were just running around my head constantly um and even if it's just myself that 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 sees my journal um which it is mainly um I've got those thoughts out of my head um so as I sleep better for that um so things like that are uh, a massive help because you, you touch on sleep there, but your sleep pattern, um, I remember when we were talking and when we, when we first started um, working together and I was talking about lack of sleep and then it became quite apparent the lack of sleep you had uh, because it was taking care of Evie and making sure she was okay. And that is obviously something that we've worked on in terms of ensuring you've got all the times to rest and recover and, and have you time as well. 
but how's the adaptation of your time in terms of taking care of Evie evolved? And more specifically, potentially before we started working together, like how did that start to affect your kind of life as a whole? And, and again, how were you managing that at that point in time? Because obviously you, you, there was no work involved then because your work became looking after either. Then there was the, the sleep pattern was was broken up, wasn't it, in terms of making sure she was okay through the night and stuff like that. So in terms of, was that just a case of I need to take this as it comes or did you start to plan in terms of a bit of a strategy for you and your life at that point? how did you start to kind of work from from your own perspective on this yeah it's difficult because evie isn't a fan of sleep like she doesn't she doesn't like sleep she likes to stay awake and chat and laugh and have a party basically until like two three in the morning and then she'll go off to sleep but then she won't want to wake up in the morning either when she's quite hard but um yeah i've, I've just kind of so i've gone from pre-evie loving my sleep sleeping at eight nine hours a night um not you know having these amazing lions and stuff to having a child where no no new parent gets sleep anywhere you just up all the time anyway uh but i've not not really had a night's sleep since having evie unless she goes to her dad's or respite um and stuff like that so so yeah pre uh pre-working with you with yourself um i would um just have to try and get sleep in between times when she was sleeping um and then thankfully myself and a dad even though we're not together um he's a brilliant dad and we have a great kind of um way of working where we're very flexible so if i um have had a few nights where evie um hasn't slept great he'll offer to have her and um and things like that and as well as the regular times that that he has her as well so um and then she she does go to an amazing um respite place as well called swanborn gardens in in edgeley and um unfortunately it was shut over lockdown but it's just reopened again so she she has some overnight stays there as well and she's obviously in school now as well so so uh, i've got that time when she's when she's there um so but i used to spend most of my time sleeping um i didn't really do anything else uh, maybe like well i did socialize and things like see my friends and things like that but it was either seeing my friends or sleeping um so i wouldn't have apart from the socialising aspect, I didn't really have much of a life in that sense because I was just catching up on my sleep all the time. So, yeah, so that's how I managed it, really. And before, because I think that leads nicely into, obviously, where you've got yourself to today in terms of you, and, and that's kind of something that we, we discussed today um, at Rubens. But I think that... Um, I just want to bring into play now, uh, obviously, another tragedy um, in terms of your brother um, that this happens to you um, in life as well. And obviously, um, people that are tuning in now may have seen kind of the post that I've put up. But are you able to just to talk a little bit about uh, David and what kind of what what went on there? As much as you're happy to talk about, just so that when we do discuss it, people have got a little bit of a background. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So um david uh was three years younger than me 
um, an amazing brother, myself and my older brother, Martin, uh, we're all, uh, and David, we were all really close. We used to do to gigs because we love our music. We used to do to gigs all the time. We used to have night outs and just unlike our friends, we're all friends and stuff like that. When they all, like all my friends love David and Martin and, and vice versa with, with their friends. Um, David always struggled with depression. He had a uh, depression for about 20 years. Um, he tried to take his own life um, three times before. Uh, sadly, um, a couple of times my mum and dad had found him, which was, um, you know, really traumatic for them as well. Um, and I would get called on quite a lot to go around and help and support. There was a few times he'd self-harmed and stuff like that and mum and dad just didn't know what to do so I would uh, be going over and trying to help. He did have a few stays in hospital in the mental health wards. Um, my experience of those places aren't the best. Um, they tend to uh, group everybody together um, and just, well in my experience, um, put people on a lot of drugs to uh, just knock them out basically um it's not for me it was wasn't a place of recovery for david really um he got quite a lot of support though but when he was back in the community not enough by any means uh, but he did get um some counselors that used to come out to him he'd go through phases of being um amazingly happy social meeting up with he had an amazing group of friends meeting up with his friends. Um, he did a personal training course, really into his health and fitness. He used to help me quite a bit um, with uh, running and stuff. Um, he was really into that. He was actually into uh, having cold showers. Oh, so he wow. used to tell me about that all the time. And I used to think he was crazy. And whereas I wouldn't now, obviously. <laughs> no, you're doing it. <laughs> I thought he was crazy. He used to do all the, the breathing stuff that Kev um, tells us uh, to do the fast breathing and get as much oxygen in as possible. He used to do all that and tell me to do it. I was like, not doing that. Um, anyway, yeah, he was um, amazing like that. He uh, graduated just before probably a couple of years, I think it was, before he passed away. He graduated from uni, from Salford Uni. He'd done a degree in um, psych psychology and counselling, um, and he'd become a counsellor to help people with mental health problems. Um, he used to do, he was the kindest person he used to, um, so he lived in a flat in the centre of Manchester. He, there was a homeless guy that um, was had spent a couple of nights in a tent um, kind of uh, near his flat and he took him down like this flask of tea and he'd made him, he loved cooking, so he made him like homemade cookies and things like that. I took it down and put a little note saying, if I've not made the tea right, let me know and I'll make it how you want it. And the guy, the homeless guy wrote back to him and said how much it meant to him. So, so little things like that, he used to do stuff like that all the time. He was so kind and thoughtful. Um, and we all, as a family, we all knew his struggles with depression. He'd have these amazing positive times where he'd get so much done and and be so social and, and amazing. And then he'd just completely shut down and not want any contact with people, um, turn his phone off, switch, like, come off Facebook, come off Instagram, come off all the social media. Um, lockdown was really tough for him 
because to, to manage his depression, he he did a lot of exercise. He needed to be physically at work and lockdown stopped him from being physically at work. His clients that he counseled, he had to do from home and he really struggled with that. He ended up moving back from his flat in Manchester, uh, back in with my mum and dad. Um, and he told his manager that he was struggling a bit and needed to reduce his hours. Um, but we'd got to a point with him where he'd not attempted suicide for quite a while. And we got to a point where we just thought he was managing it because he'd been through all these kind of low times and come back out again. And he was being really honest with my mum and dad, like telling them how low he was and stuff like that, but that he was managing it and things. But we just didn't know that he'd been planning it for a couple of months prior to actually doing it. And uh, my mum and dad kind of went out to the shops that night and then they came back and found him and mum rang me and told me. Um, and, you know, I've had that phone call a few times from her, obviously, because he's attempted before. Um, and I just thought, oh, it's another, it's another one of these times where it's not, you know, it's not, he's not going to die. He's, he's going to be fine. Um, but then like 10 minutes later, I got the phone call saying that he had passed away. Um, and it was just, it was horrific. It, I can't think of another word to describe it. It was absolutely horrific. Um, you know, it was such a close family, very lucky um, for that. And it, you know, we're just heartbroken. We're still heartbroken. It's two years on in June. It's heartbreaking. Um, but in my personal opinion, I don't feel anybody really wants to take their own life. And I don't feel David really wanted to. He wrote us this note that said that he just couldn't live in his head anymore. Um, but I feel that if he'd got the right help and the right support, he would still be here. Um, and I just think people get to that point where they uh, just think there isn't any hope for them and there isn't any way out. And that's why they do it. Uh, whereas if people have got that bit of hope and have got those methods to deal with it, then there would be a reason for them to live and keep going. Because David was an uncle, you know, to Eva. He was my brother. He was his son. He was... Uh, his friend set up a tribute page when he passed away and there's like 450 people on there, wow. all of whom his life, he's touched their lives in some way. Yeah. Um, in my opinion... I don't know. I don't know if everybody believes this, but in my opinion, I don't believe anybody really 100% with the whole of their being wants to end their life. I just think they can't see a way out at that time, uh, which is why I'm so passionate about trying to help people as much as possible to find that way out and have that hope um, yeah. to keep going. So, yeah. And thank you for sharing that, man. Like that um, shows, again, an unbelievable strength that you've got to be able to talk about this and be as honest as you are being um so thank you firstly um and i do hope that this like i say this talk does help a lot of people maybe in similar circumstances or even just people hearing this and, and gaining perspective on their own life which i think is a massive one as well i think that i've dealt with and, and worked with people over the last year in terms of mental health and a couple of people have made it quite apparent how um how they have been treated and how people are treated um on, on the 
on this more severe end when they kind of go into places and the things that are done to them, um, which obviously I've not witnessed firsthand, but from the stories that I've been told are pretty brutal and pretty um, astounding really to, to hear and, and to think that that will be going on. Outside of that, with him obviously being within counselling and within helping people, do you think there was still a frustration from him with the system in terms of what he could do? Do you think that kind of helping people with their own mental health potentially was a trigger for him? If Obviously, if you don't mind answering these questions, um, and if you do, please do say. Like, obviously, you've expressed that he did try and commit suicide a few times. So where do you think the... Where do you think the main triggers kind of came from with David, other than obviously things that have gone on earlier in his life that may have led to that? When he started to potentially receive help is what I'm kind of getting at. What do you think kept pulling him back to states that he was in where he wanted to commit suicide? I think it was lack of um, self-belief and self-worth. I don't think he realised how amazing he was. Well, he didn't. I know that he didn't because we used to have quite deep conversations about it. You know, he always doubted himself. He was an overanalyzer. He used to, uh, even though he loved his friends and loved us, not so much with us, but with his friends, he would analyze uh, whether he'd upset anybody, whether he'd offended anybody. Like, and it would literally, like, he'd spend a few hours like overthinking stuff. Um, constantly about things and I, I would say in that sense he did struggle a bit with this with social situations because he would overanalyze and overthink whether he'd upset anybody because he he was the kindest person and he would never have wanted to hurt anybody or upset anybody we used to have conversations about relationships and stuff like that and he'd he'd always worry about how, if he'd been on a date with somebody that he didn't end up fancying them that he didn't want to upset them, so he'd spend hours thinking about how he could tell them that he just wanted to be friends, and um, he that used to kind of really screw him, screw him over a bit. His his thought processes, and he was a big one for journaling. Okay. He did journal a lot down, but he tended to only journal down when he was in a negative state, not when he was in a positive state. Um, so I think when he did look at his journals, all he saw was negativity, yeah. um, which I think was a massive thing, really. And, and one lesson that I've learned from that, that you have to, you know, it's important, you, you know, you do have to get your negativity down, obviously. Um, but to journal the positives as well is is so important. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's what he really struggled with. He he never used to believe it when I'd say, "Oh, you you know, you're so you're so lovely, you're so social. You know, you've got all these bloody girls after you all the time. She's so attractive and all." <laughs> but he just didn't believe it. He didn't believe yeah. it himself. And if you don't believe it yourself, then you know it's a difficult place to be in, isn't it? Yeah. Without that, one, I think that hearing you say that kind of highlights. Uh, Obviously, the a lot of the work I do is helping people find belief, understand what belief is and how strong it is. And obviously, things that, that I've experienced in terms of how powerful belief is on the body um, and on on what you can achieve is is phenomenal. Where do you think, and again, uh, only if you're happy kind of talking about this, but where do you think this potentially kind of started to stem from with the signs of this? when you talk about him trying to commit suicide a few times, what was the early state and were the signs up to that point or was the first time quite a shock to the family in terms of 
wow, this is, do you know what I mean? It's always going to be a wow, but sometimes there's signs leading up to it for the first one or was it out of the blue? Where do you think triggers came? You talk a lot about kind of him over-analyzing and, and overthinking. And I think sometimes when you're in a, a severe state of depression, the, the, the more you can overanalyze something, the worse it can get, if that makes sense. Because you, you are kind of, you start to really conflict in the head and overthink situations and catastrophize them. And, and actually intelligence can be um, quite a negative thing in that scenario. Um, but if we really pulled it back, do you, do you feel that you can find things that you can relate to him going down this route? Or do you, is it still a bit of a mystery to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think the first time that he did it was a massive shock to all of us. None of us had really had, well, sadly, actually, my mum's my mum's mum committed suicide when she was 15. Um, but obviously, my mum's kind of close to the age of eight, eight now. Um, and at that time, it, it, it was really taboo uh, when somebody did that. But that was the only kind of um, experience we'd we'd had really uh, my auntie did struggle a bit with depression as well but again it wasn't really recognized then um so with david we we there were signs now um when you look back like he used to sleep all day um and be awake all night wow, yeah. um he used to kind of binge eat quite a bit um and then you know not eat for days uh, there were definite signs there, but none of us really clicked at, at that point that um, that it would be as severe as what it was. So the first time that he did attempt suicide was a massive shock to all of us. Um, but I think from that, we're very, we're, we're, like I said before, we're, we're a very close family. And we just wanted to kind of come together as much as possible and find ways to help him. Um, so from that, and like mum and dad um, uh, were very much like, we need you to be honest with us, David, because we can't leave uh, the house or leave you on your own if you're not. You know, we need you to be honest and stuff like that. So from that, from that, he was he began to be more honest and open with us. Not fully, I don't think, but as much as he felt able. But yeah, the signs I would say were there now that I'm more aware of depression and what to look for. But at the time I wasn't so, um, so yeah, it was a massive shock the first time. And in terms of um, kind of him growing up, yeah. there, was there any major incidences that you feel could have led to this? Do you feel the the, the environments he was in or the situations he was in could extend it or, with that's that's kind of where I was getting to the, to the first time he, he, he attempted suicide leading up to that had he been through anything that potentially could have caused this or again was that really just completely unknown you saw David as, as potentially happy or just living life and and there's no significant thing that you could pin back to saying yeah we, there was this situation or there were these people or there was this thing it was just he attempted suicide and then it was, became apparent that he wasn't in a stable yes. mind there was nothing specific no um because he like i say he was he was really popular at school he had loads of friends the only thing about his personality that i, I can pinpoint really is that he was a perfectionist okay. so everything that he did he had to do 
to the best of his ability. Like he was, he put a lot of pressure on himself. So he used to be quite a keen sports person. So at school, he'd play football and do all those kind of uh, things. And he'd always want to be the best. And and then with his uh, results and stuff like that at school, he'd always want to do the best that he could. And he put pressure on himself to do that. Um, so that was probably the only um, kind of personality things or the things that I can think of in his life that happened that could have led to that. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't like we had a tough childhood or anything that kind of led to him um, him feeling like that. Um, I feel that maybe um, just, I don't know, people say like when you're depressed and stuff, it can be like a bit of a chemical imbalance in your brain or that kind of thing. I don't know enough about it to... to kind of comment on that but there's nothing in our background or childhood or anything that I can pinpoint that would have made him feel like that the only thing is his personality and his personality traits um that I can think you know the pressure that he put on himself and stuff like that that maybe that's what led to him feeling low and um but I can't pinpoint anything else other than that really and in terms of in terms of your mentality around mental health now through what obviously you've been through and and what's happened with david what do you think needs to be made apparent around mental health and, and the way it's dealt with um i know there are a lot of organizations out there and i know um there are a lot of processes kind of like through the nhs or or things like that where do you lie in, obviously you've shown your frustrations like where do you lie in terms of now someone with mental health and the belief you've got in systems or where do you feel there needs to be more support or from your obviously experience within having this happen to someone within your family or brother like what do you think that you would have liked to see more of or where do you think help needs to be better um well you know i have the utmost respect for the nhs and the pressures that they're under and stuff like that but it's not good enough to say to somebody that is at the point of taking their own lives or or even before that, you know, because we need to put the spot in place before somebody gets to that point. But it's not good enough to say, oh, we've got a waiting list of two months because, you know, somebody could in that time could end their lives. It, that to me isn't good enough. Um, and there is... Um, there isn't enough uh, support out there. Um, I don't think in terms of early intervention um, and things like that and counselling that you get given on the NHS, sadly, you tend to just get like six sessions and yeah. then, because I know I've had it myself, yeah. you get six sessions and then that's it. And by the time you've started actually opening up about your story and, and what's happened to you, your, your sessions are up. And yeah. that's it. And that's when you've waited a year plus sometimes for that counselling. Um, like I said before about Rubens, um, the the it falls a lot on charities and we have some amazing charities out there, uh, yeah. you know, in this country for mental health. Um, I'm doing a, a skydive soon um, in April for my brother in memory of him. And uh, it's for a charity called Andy's Man Club and they don't have any waiting list it's just dropping things dropping uh times all around the country for men um who are struggling with their mental health 
Um, and that's what needs to be done. That support needs to be put in place now. You know, when somebody is say, reaching out and saying, I need help, I can't cope, I'm struggling, they yeah. can't wait for two months, a year. They need yeah. that support now. Um, and thankfully, down to these amazing charities, which there are loads of, yeah. um, you know, people are getting that support that, in my opinion, should be provided by the NHS as well. But unfortunately, you know, it's not. Um, and that's where the charities are amazing and they're stepping in and uh, providing that vital support that people need. Because, it, you know, it needs to be done when somebody is saying, I need help. Yeah. And I think where a lot of, and I agree with you, I think there's some unbelievable organisations and charities out there now. And I think that um, we talked about it today that, that the unfortunate thing is most charities are created through a, a tragedy that's happened to someone and they have felt the passion to start a charity to help the cause of whatever that what tragedy was, if that makes sense. Um, I think where organisations and struggle is being able to, uh, from my and this is my perspective now kind of jumping in in, in the conversation but i think that um the charities then worry and this is this is a barrier i faced when i want to help and coach people but charities and organizations worry about obviously giving advice in case something does go wrong and then the charity organization gets blamed so then they ultimately have a cap on how much support they can give potentially other than an area or a community whereas it's then labelled onto the NHS to do something significant about it. And and that's a tough thing because from my perspective, it's like, well, I feel potentially, I, I feel I can help people. But again, approaching organisations, it's like, well, we need this qualification. We need these people. And it's like, well, those people are in place at the minute, but that obviously that structure and system isn't working. And I feel there's a real wall at the minute of that because I think there are some amazing charities out there, but I think people do go to them but because they are only able to offer a kind of a leveled surface of support, we are still seeing suicide at a high level, if, if we're quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel it's because just talking is good, but sometimes it's it's not enough, unfortunately. Um, and that that's something that I'm quite passionate about breaking the mold of. Um, and I'm quite outspoken about that. And I'm quite strong in standing my ground with my theory on that as well um and i'm glad that obviously we're now hopefully going to be working together and approaching places and and bringing this stuff in because i think you talked a lot and i think this is something that i want to kind of bring into place which is we discussed it today as well about understanding the mind because obviously every thought that we have comes through the mind it comes through experiences and, and memories and then new experiences the people around and all these kind of things start to form the mind and you've talked there before about kind of journaling and getting out of your head because when these thoughts and are flying around in your head and again you've got you've got different people speaking within your own head and it can get quite overwhelming in in who to listen to and what reaction and um action to take from that and i think the awareness of the mind and understanding what the mind is and understanding again we touched upon understanding what emotions is and again this is not what we talked about this before but it's not taught in schools me and kev have had strong conversations about this as well um like if these aspects were taught if, if a kid was shown in school how their mind works and we're not talking about breaking the brain down we're talking about thought processes here negative and positive thoughts things that literally dictate your behavior and then emotions what emotions are if these things were taught in school, I personally believe that people would 
grow into life, being able to handle life so much better. But because they don't understand how to deal with thought processes or what thoughts are, and they literally think thoughts control them and emotions then control them, they're, this is when they get to the point that they feel out of control enough to take the life, if that makes sense. And I think that, again, that's why I'm so passionate about firstly self-development because i think self-development for myself is helping someone develop it's helping them find something and, and work on themselves to be a better person for them and and that brings a sense in a, a positivity and a real sense of self-worth and compassion to to the person but then understanding the mind is how to focus on the thoughts that you want to have and how to understand the thoughts that you don't want to have they're still always going to be there but understanding they're not actually you and and that for me is, is empowerment that could really transform lives and help save lives but again it's it's a barrier that that i'm facing and we're going to face it be one in terms of being allowed to to really help people with that but i think we're both that passionate um that we're going to try and break the mold where do you stand with kind of what i've what i've just touched upon there christy yeah to totally 100 percent agree with you i like i say i used to be a teacher i used to work with five and six year olds um and before I left, I had to leave, obviously, to become Evie's carer. But uh, before I left, uh, there was so much pressure on us as teachers to obviously uh, teach the children how to read and write and you know, math skills and things like that, which is important, massively important, obviously. But before that, you know, I, I worked in an inner city school in Manchester, uh, a really deprived area. Um, a lot of the children hadn't eaten a meal before they, like they'd had their, their school dinner um, the day before and they'd what? not had anything else to eat until they came into school for breakfast club that morning, the enough for the following morning, so they'd not had an evening meal. A lot of them had, had barely had any sleep, no clean clothes, no wash, um, nothing like that. And not because you know, the parents were, were bad parents, I'm not slating them, they just, they were struggling. Yeah. Parents were struggling. Um, but how can you expect a child to learn how to read and write and count and stuff like that if they haven't got their basic needs met? Yeah. You can't. Um, and I was so passionate about that as a teacher. I wanted to have time in the mornings to speak to the children and and talk about how they were feeling and talk about their emotions and um and help them deal with that first before we started with the reading and the writing and the maths because in, you've got to learn these life skills um, and well-being and looking after yourself to be able to learn and to be able to grow um and you can't do that if you're not you know learning about yourself and expressing yourself um and it's one of the reasons that i, I struggle with education and system, education system now because there isn't enough um, enough focus on the well-being of the children. It is all about, let we need to get these results. Um, yeah. And it's got its place. We need to, obviously, you know, it's, they're important skills to have, but they shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be the well-being of the children and looking after them and giving them uh, the ability to be able to express their emotions. And I think with the stuff that, with B1 as well, I think it's important for people to to kind of put these things in place before they get to that crisis situation of wanting to take their own lives or, or similar, having a breakdown, that kind of thing. We need to 
help people before they get to that point. People shouldn't have to get to that point. They should, these things should be in place to help them before before yeah. that so that they they don't ever get to that point because it's a horrible point to be in. You know, I felt very low in my life where, you know, which sounds awful with having got a daughter uh, who I love, but particularly during lockdown where I had feelings of I didn't want to be here anymore and stuff like that. I didn't ever go through with anything like that. Um, but it, it shocked me enough to make me realise I need to do something yeah. about this. I don't want to feel like that anymore. I want to like myself. I want to feel like I've got a purpose and stuff like that. And there needs to be those tools out there, like with, with what you're doing, Ben, that can help people, you know, before they get to that crisis situation. And just to kind of touch on that, which is, I think that before we lead into kind of like the the transition in terms of kind of self-worth and compassion and, and the, the work that you are literally doing to yourself now, to, which is really kind of transformed. And before that, I just want to highlight the mental strength that you have shown through life to obviously be in the position you are in now. And that's been quite phenomenal for me and it's the perspective that i kind of want to shine and i think that everything that you on a day-to-day -day basis the care you give your daughter is just absolutely phenomenal and i think a lot of people just hearing the things that you do for her will be taken back and, and it took me back and it was like oh my god this is this is unbelievable the amount not only that you do for your daughter but the amount of pressure that's on you to care for you're, it's not just you're looking like literally her life in sometimes in a way is in your hands and that's yeah. such a pressure to live with on a day-to-day -day basis and I think that that you've got to a stage now where you are coping with that in such an amazing way and that that just is such a testament to how mentally strong you are to also then have to deal with what you went through with your brother um again highlights how you how mentally strong you are these, these are real impactful things that have happened in your life that could have took you one way or the other and i think to be standing as strong as you are before i even met you was absolute testament to yourself and that shows the root the root of how strong you are christine and then when we started to work together the the one thing that i wanted to zone in on quite quickly was self-worth because i think you were giving so much to your to your daughter which any parent would do um and obviously still dealing with what had happened to, to your brother. But there was a lack of love, I felt, kind of being given to yourself. And there was no real purpose in terms of you in your life, if that made sense. Now, just to kind of clarify that one, because obviously Evie is Christine's purpose, a child is purpose there, but as a coach, you need purpose for yourself in your life as well and i think that's important and i'd say that to any parent um to be the best parent you can be the more purposeful you feel and content and fulfilled you feel with yourself that's going to bring a more positive light around your children as well and i think that's something that we've spoken about now in, in terms of the time you do have with evie the cuddle time and the rest time and the smile time and all these kind of things it makes it more beautiful and i think that the what was the reach out to myself what what what's the point that you came to where you felt you needed to do that yeah i think um 
it was after David passed away and I was struggling with that, um, struggling with lockdown. Evie had to be off school for two years um, due to the COVID pandemic because she was so vulnerable. Because um, obviously with it being a respiratory condition, she has a lot of respiratory problems. So if she was to catch it, it could have been quite serious for her. So we had to keep her home from school. She was homeschooled for two years. She's gone back now, but yeah, she was homeschooled, um, but basically stuck. I live in a flat as well, stuck in a flat with not my own, you know, garden. I had to make sure that the other residents weren't outside if I took Evie out in the fresh air. Uh, it was hard. It was really hard. My friends were amazing. As I say, they came to the window and like we had conversations through the window and stuff like that. Brilliant support network. But there are times when Evie's in bed, I'm on my own and you're on your own with your own thoughts. Um, and it's horrible. It's a lonely place to be. Um, and yeah, um, I do feel a bit ashamed to say it because of everything that happened with David. Um, and obviously because I'm a mum, but I did have those thoughts of, I don't want to be here. Um, you know, Evie's dad's got a new partner. So I thought Evie would be well cared for. Obviously she'd have her um all these negative thoughts going around in my head thinking you know that people will be all right you know my friends will get over it you know my family will find it hard but I'm sure they'll get over it and not with any definite intention that I would ever do anything to myself but just these thoughts were kind of running through my head yeah and it um it shocked me and uh, scared me a lot that I was even thinking that way with everything that had gone on in my life. Um, and so I saw a mutual friend had been to uh, Kev at Breathe Illusion and done some cold water uh, therapy um, with him. And um, she'd had a traumatic birth and with her son and um, she'd said that it had really helped her. So I thought, I need to do something because I can't keep feeling like this, I can't keep feeling this low. I need to push myself and do something here. So I messaged Kev, who is amazing, and um, managed to get a, a last minute session with him. Went down there, did the breathing, went into the cold water. It was just phenomenal. The experience has changed my life. Um, and it seems crazy to say that just from going it, doing breathing and going into cold water, but it really did change my life. Um, I released so much emotion that I've been yeah. holding on to. I'm not one for crying. I struggle with it. I don't like crying in front of people. I'm, you know, I'd rather just plod on and keep myself busy, but I released it yeah. and I slept that night. Evie was with her dad. I'd slept that night for 10 hours, which I've wow. done that bloody years. Wow. Felt amazing. And, but then obviously it's just, it's a moment in time. Kev was brilliant. He kept in contact with me and yeah. gave me an MP3 to, to practice the breathing techniques. But it was a moment. And then I was back to my life again. Um, and I did another session with him with two of my most amazing friends and um, had a different kind of experience, not as much emotion released, but I was able to support them through it nice. um, and Kev as well. And um, had another amazing experience there. And then I, uh, obviously, I'm not tech savvy at all, but joined Instagram, so, uh, followed yeah. Kev, and then saw that he was um, 
he was commenting on a few things connected with you. So I followed you and I had a look at some of the things that you were doing and I just thought, it, in the forefront of my mind was, I want to get fit, I want to get healthy, I want to um, look better, I want to feel better about myself, I want to lose weight, I want to, you know, eat better. So I got in contact with yourself and, and um, through doing those sessions with Kev, that kind of spurred me on to want to keep that feeling that I'd got of amazingness and feeling great about myself. I wanted to keep that feeling and continue, which is why... I contacted yourself. I love that. And I, I think what's really powerful there, Christine, and it's um, it's a message that, that I feel needs to be understood, which is so many people can go to um, a cold water therapy session or a breathwork session. And like you say, it is life transforming. It truly is. Um, and Kev's transforming lives on a daily basis. He's a phenomenal man. Um, but it's the continuation of something like that when you are away and then on your own. And again, that's something that's not within the coach's control. That's within the person's control. And I think that if you can take what you are going and experiencing, it can make you feel so um, euphoric, joyous, happy, positive in the moment. But then to come away and to lose track of the fact that you could continue to do that, um, but feel out of control that, you can make yourself do that or, or you could continue to do that um is somewhere where a lot of people fall short so i think again that's a, a strong philosophy for, for of mine which is i help people take empowerment in terms of it's got to come from yourself to continue to act to put in the work to kind of transition the state of who you are because i feel what comes with that is you feel empowered because at the end of the day you need to as a person feel that you can positively impact yourself that you can positively make moves yourself that you are in control of you your thoughts your your actions and what you do on a daily basis and i think that that's again when i gave you the task when we first talked that was in your hands and for a lot of people i don't hear back from them and that's it's it's tough but i've got to do that because i need that person to take control before they then take the step to come and work with me because that accountability needs to stay there and that's something that i learned from when i was a pt um, back in the day which was a lot of the accountability is put onto the coach but if the coach ever disappears and the person feels lost and from my from my perspective a coach should be trying to help that person learn and understand how to take control themselves so when they do remove themselves which i think as a coach you should be able to at a point that person feels the strength to carry on um and and that's something that obviously we've done and and you've shown real character and real strength in in taking control to, to where you are now and i think that one of the things that i just wanted to touch on was how tough was it when we start to work upon because obviously you've highlighted the, the reasons you came, but then I dug a little bit deeper and we started to try to find kind of different areas of visions of goals. So it wasn't just in one area, it was kind of, we did a perspective task to break down a lot of areas of your life, but then we start to focus on multiple areas. There was a barrier at the start with obviously Evie in terms of being a mum to Evie and then being Christine. And we touched upon that at the meeting today. And I think what you said was really powerful there. But I think that where was your thought process there? Like, what was the main struggle? Because as a coach, I don't know what was going through your mind at that point. I was only trying to coach you to to help you see where I was trying to get you to. And it was a tough decision for me to 
to make there in terms of saying that to you because at the end of the day i knew your situation um and it could it could have took you one way or the other but when i started to try to show you that there was a light for you christine to have positive focuses and things to look forward to in life and things to chase and goals to have for you just individually how just explain the the kind of the the resistance you had of thinking wow i've got evie here how can i have aspirations and goals and visions because there was that resistance which i think anyone would have but thankfully you understood the power of that because by finding that obviously you will be a better person to you as it was where were you when i started to kind of take you on that journey yeah i think it was the the parent guilt um that i think a lot of us as parents face um the guilt of doing something for myself when all of my time but prior to that was taken up with evie and making sure that my focus was on her and being the best mum that I could be for her, but what I, the realization I came to, and I guess, I guess that's probably why I felt a bit of overwhelm, which I've told you quite a yeah. bit at the beginning. I was like, I can't do this. I haven't got the time. Um, I can't fit this in. I've got too much to do with Evie. Um, I can't. I just feel like all the tasks that I was doing and stuff, I but I didn't make the time um to or i didn't feel i had the time to do it until i really kind of got into it more and realized actually i'm spending two hours watching crap on tv when i could um turn the tv off and have that time to work on myself or i'm just scrolling through facebook or google or you know looking at random stuff when i could be you know working on myself yeah um but definitely the the mum guilt um played a big factor i was like i can't i don't feel like i can um focus on myself i should be focusing on ev but then actually i came to the realization of i'm to be the best mum that i can be for ev i need to be the best person i can be for myself um and i need to love myself or at least like myself and be Christine as well as Evie's mum. I think I said today when we've been in hospital before, you get called mum or yep. dad. Don't get called by your name. You're just mum or dad, which I'm so proud to be Evie's mum. You know, I, I'm the proudest I could be to be a mum and I love being a mum with all my heart. But I'm, I am also Christine. I am also a person yep. um, as well as being Evie's mum. I am yep. me too, and and I've come to the realization now that I am, and that I deserve to have nice time away from Evie and not feel that guilt for yep. that, um, because it makes me a better mum. Yeah, you know, I felt like I was a good mum before, but I'm an even better mum now because yep. I've I work on myself and feel much better about myself than I ever did. So. That makes me a better parent to Evie yeah. um, and it, makes me value my time with her so much more because my mind is focused on her, not on all the other things that I've got to do. Yeah. And I feel like a couple of things there, like a key one is like you talked about their value in your time when you're with Evie because you're in so much more control of um, your thoughts, control it's where thoughts were overwhelming you before um, you start to be able to be more present with Evie but I think another one that I just want to touch on there is like um you talked about time away from Evie 
but I think like because of the circumstance you're in but then if you look at parents in another scenario they would go out on a night out and leave their kid or child with someone else and that guilt wouldn't be there and it but then again do you know what I mean it's redefining and refining that perspective and I think that that is absolutely fine to do it was a pressure that you were putting on yourself and it was that was that showed so much character and strength from yourself to make that decision and again that couldn't have come from myself it could only come from you but you took that decision and then from that you've not only grown strength and belief in yourself and compassion and I know you're flicking between love and like for yourself but I know it's growing towards love um but at the same do you know what I mean so so you are developing at this at this at this time with self-worth and belief and you are starting to find these fires and lights and you're making such progression in yourself with your fitness and your health which was like you said the main goal you came but at the same time you're finding the worth you're finding you've got bucket lists that you're ticking off we're creating one for each month but also you are now in a better mental space around your daughter um and you spend so much time with your daughter and you take her to so many places and you do so much with her um from from my perspective again this is where i talk about how the impact you've had on my life i just see a phenomenal mum and a phenomenal lady really capitalizing on everything and making the most out of life and it kind of that really ups my game and I, I talk about this so much i take inspiration off anyone i can and that inspires me on a daily basis and i'm that's not me saying that for the sake of it it truly does and i think that it's the development and again it's like we've been on a journey together over the last fair few months and it's just it's it's empowering um to see where you're at but the most empowering thing is to see that the belief you have in what we do if that makes sense uh, for you now to come on board with B1 and want to help push B1 forward to help people because you know the strength and power, not just that you know strength and power behind it, but you you believe in the the theory behind it. You believe in this helping people find themselves, basically. They become one with themselves, which we talked about the name today. Um, and there's nothing more... Um, there's been nothing more proud than me to see that transition and then to have you become a part of this in terms of in terms of that and in, in that decision to become a part of this and know that you're going to be kind of pushing b1 forward as two organizations and charities where did that sit with you um so i'll be completely honest when you first asked me i always get that self-doubt <laughs> i'm like oh my god i don't know if i can do this um you know who's gonna want to listen to me and blah 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 all that self-doubt and negativity that we all have um but i can you know i've said this to you but this that doing this course and um meeting yourself and meeting kev and that has, has saved my life it really has and it's no um no exaggeration to say that it, it really has um it's made me so much more empowered i feel so much more in control of my life before i felt very overwhelmed very out of control even though i you know i'm, I'm skilled in looking after evie and i know everything that she needs all other aspects of my life i felt very overwhelmed by and and not in control of a lot of self-doubt a lot of low self-esteem Whereas, you know, obviously I'm human. I still get those feelings. I still look in the mirror and not necessarily like what I see 
but it's not as often as what it was before. I've, you know, I put a post out recently, say, I think it was on Valentine's Day, saying that it's the first Valentine's Day that I felt like really positive because I'm actually like myself now, um, which I never thought I'd say. Um, and to feel like that feels amazing. Um, and I want other people to feel like that as well. So if I, um, no matter what self-doubt I have about whether people would listen to me or um, get anything from what I'm saying, I want to try. I want to help people as much as possible because I don't want people to feel how my brother did. I don't want people to feel how I have done. I want people to feel good about themselves because people have got so much to, to offer and people shouldn't feel that they haven't got a place in this world. You know, we all have a place in this world and we all have so much to offer. We just need those opportunities to do that and we need those people to listen to us and help us and support us and give us that hope. Um, and if I can do that just for one person by being involved with you, then amazing. What what you just said there is is so powerful. Um, I'm I'm hoping Liam's going to be able to cut that because I think that to to just to have that is when you listen back to that, Christine. I think you'll smile at how powerful that sounds, and I think that you will have and you have had a, a bigger influence on a hell of a lot of people, especially a lot of people that I've been involved with that have started to get to know you. Um, and I think the impact is already apparent that you're having on people's lives um, just through through who you are, your character, the things you've been through, the things you still on a daily basis stand strong in being and uh, what you stand for, the message you have. All of these things, Christine, is absolutely phenomenal. It's kind of it's so it's why I wanted you on the show tonight, but it's also why I'm so proud to have you working with B1 and to be moving forward. And I think it's because I believe that you truly do want to help people. And I think it's because like you just said there, there's good in everyone, there's opportunity out there. It's just it's just helping people find that worth, find that belief, and then in, in helping them take empowerment. I think that's the biggest one. And again, you've taken that um, and, and you're shining it in a minute phenomenally, like you say. Uh, the, the Valentine's post was blew a lot of people away. I, I think, but also the the amount you start to do, the, you hit a three mile run, and we're not even touched on the the injury you had to your ankle, where you've got metal throughout your ankle, and you're still battling that. And and you just honestly, that you're an absolute phenomenal lady, Christine, in many ways. And I think that the mental strength you showed up to the point we started to work on focusing that into specific areas was that strong that now i feel you are unstoppable um and i'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing you progress on your journey um, and i'm looking forward to obviously seeing where where we progress as a, as a partnership with liam in terms of pushing b1 forward to hopefully help people um that they're in circumstances that, that that need help and again that might not just be in terms of uh, mental health or um in terms of like children's charities like Rubens, but also just helping people find focus and know that they can go and achieve whatever whatever's out there. I think we're both a big believer in, well, we both know that belief is a strong thing through our own circumstances, but it's helping someone understand that if they believe in themselves, anything, anything is possible. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's, you know, that belief is so important. It really is. Um, and so many people don't have that. Um, so if we can help people to have that, it's it's an amazing thing. It is. You're a star, right, Christine? We're gonna we're gonna wrap up there. But I just wanna I wanna say again, 
um a couple of things firstly thank you for coming on i appreciate you a little bit nervous before you came on um but secondly just for being so honest i think that it takes a lot to be as honest and open as you are but to do that is going to help so many people i think it's untrue um and i know there are a lot of people that don't feel comfortable enough to 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 share their story that have been through similar or worse or whatever it may be and i think i completely support that but for the people that do come forward i've got utmost respect for because um you're helping people that are in those circumstances but i think like i've said you also help other people gain perspective gratitude humbleness um for what they are and, and for what they've got and, and for life itself and just being here and being able to have, make the best of any opportunity to get um so i just can't thank you enough for, for coming on and uh again i look forward to kind of working with you and moving on as we go forward yeah my pleasure thank you i'm just going to drop you back and i'll speak to you in a second okay cheers christine thank you yes guys so episode number four and um, with christine um and i knew that was going to be um obviously deep tonight and even i hearing some stuff that i know that christine's been through um was hard hitting just to, to sit here and listen to that then um and to try and show the respects and I obviously wanted to ask questions to gain um to help gain more perspective um, because i think perspective is a massive thing in life and again that's why I'm, i am such a big believer in being so open-minded um you never know what someone's been through um someone someone can say something someone can act in a certain way to yourself and you judge them very quickly but you truly don't know what's going on in someone's head you don't know what they've been through um and i think having a bit of open-mindedness and taking a step back but also at times when you're feeling quite low or you feel your circumstances and you've got the back up against the wall again understanding what other people are going through can, can help you transition that state quite quickly um but also just just the want to help people which is very apparent listening to christine she could be very resentful of a lot of things that are going on in her life but she isn't resentful her outlook is to help others um and to be the best she can be um for her daughter for herself and she's just an absolute phenomenal lady and i'm not joking the impact she's had I'm, I, i've posted it twice but i truly mean it like the impact she's had on me um in the last four or five months has been incredible both uh myself and some reflection for me um obviously for my son jacks and to be the best i can be as a parent and, and to show love and be present with him um and also the the power of what b1 is all about and, and the name b1 for anyone that's not heard it before is, is about becoming happy with who you are and because i never was i always resented myself i hated myself I hate the way i looked i hate the way i acted I hate the way i always got in trouble or things always happened to me and i had such an angry and resentful and and, and hateful look of the world and myself um i hated myself I, I was at war with myself and it wasn't until i became one with myself and actually decided to like myself and be happy who, with who i was and how i looked that my life completely transformed and it was the point that i became one with myself that things started to happen opportunity came more people that were positive came into my life and i started to build the, the life that i've got now which i'm truly thankful for and i'm still ambitious and chasing things but it doesn't mean i'm grateful and i couldn't stop right now and just be humble and blessed for what i've got um, and i think that's a powerful thing so guys i hope this episode has been um impactful to yourselves like i say there's such a mixed variety of people coming on and the idea again is just to show 
different walks of life, how different people operate, the things different people have been through, the different perspectives people have. And again, understanding people's mindset and, and Christine's mindset up to me meeting her has been phenomenal. To, to go through what Christine's been through and to still stand strong is just absolutely next level. But then to understand now she's working on self-development and, and mindset towards goals and ambitions in her own life, to have that strength of mind from, from what she's been through to then channel that into what she wants to achieve. I truly believe she's unstoppable uh, and I can't wait to see uh, what Christine achieves in life and I'm excited to be working with her for B1. Uh, guys, as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. Please click the like button if this has been um, something that you've taken something from. And again, guys, if you aren't subscribed, please click the subscribe button and obviously you'll get updates of the live shows and also uh, additional content myself and Liam will be dropping onto the channel. So guys, thank you for joining in as always. Much love and uh, I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks for listening to the end of this B1 Mindset podcast. We know this week was a powerful topic, discussing some difficult topics. If you find yourself in one of these situations, then make sure you talk to somebody, but equally, if you need it, make sure you seek out their professional help too. If you want to join one of these Mindset Tune-Up conversations live, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our social media links, which can be found in the show notes. Until next time, take care. We can't wait to speak soon.